We'll see, just like that, we quadruple the size of our choir. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. And you too can be part of it on Sunday mornings between the two worship gatherings. So this coming Saturday is, anybody know? <laughs> You're jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> February 14th, <laughs> Valentine's Day, but that's not what I was thinking about. February 14th is the day. Do you have an idea? The first day of school vacation. Isn't that true? February 14th is the day. The statistical reports are due. <laughs> Which doesn't mean a lot to all of you, but to those who I was hoping there'd be more retired pastors in the room. And we'd hear lots of groans, because every year, every United Methodist pastor in the country is required to complete these on and on, these endless statistical reports. We have to report average worship attendance over the past year, um, baptisms, membership numbers, participation in small groups in Sunday school, and on lots and lots of numbers about finances, every dollar that came in and how every dollar was spent. And for those of us who are pastors in New England, every year the statistical reports are due on Valentine's Day. Isn't that exciting? So Sarah and I just look forward to this every year. And Liz too, because we enlist her in gathering all kinds of this data as well. But the interesting thing is that what I find is that the statistical reports don't easily measure the impact of probably any church, but especially a church like Hope Gateway. So Sarah and I are part of a, a, a Facebook group called the Network of Progressive Church Planters. And it's a group that exists primarily on Facebook. So there are um, people who are planting or pastoring, uh, kind of entrepreneurial, experimental faith communities of many different denominations in lots of different parts of the country, and we're all part of this group, and uh, occasionally our paths will cross. I was just with some of the folks in the group in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, but for the most part, we interact on Facebook, and we'll ask a question, or we'll uh, you know, ask for people's opinion about something that's happening, or share ideas, or ask for prayer about certain things going on in our faith communities. This week, someone posed a question with statistical reports due coming up, uh, a question about metrics, that is about how do you measure certain things that demonstrate the impact of a faith community. One of the members of the group, uh, Beth Eastock, whom I actually have met, she's a pastor in the, uh, in, uh, in the other Portland, Portland, Oregon, planting a United Methodist faith community, and she's visited with us here in this Portland. Uh, she, she commented, uh, this, which I thought was really good. She said, a metric that I think might be helpful is this. How is your network of kingdom influence growing? How is your network of kingdom influence growing? In, in other words, in what ways are you helping to build God's kingdom, you know, to make a difference in the world, and how is that network of influence growing? That's a hard thing to quantify, but it's a great question, right? It's a hard thing to quantify in numbers that would ever show up in a statistical report. But then she went on to say, we might also ask, how many folks are in your orbit? Now there are many, many people who are in the Hope Gateway orbit whom we will never see in a seat on Sunday morning necessarily, right? 
They're, they're involved in something else, a yoga class, a 12-step group, a community meal, a meditation gathering, a drumming circle, or something else. So they're in our orbit. They might even say, Hope Gateway is my faith community, but they're never going to show up on those statistical reports because their butts aren't in the seat on Sunday morning, right? So she said, I also think that we need to be telling stories of transformation when we are asked for traditional butts in seats metrics. So when we're asked to report numbers, we tell stories, right? Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't notice so. <laughs> but what, what this raises for me is this, this sense that in so many ways, the statistical reports or any kind of measurement thing is, are stuck in the 1950s with a 1950s understanding of what it means to be the church, which is everybody shows up on Sunday morning, right? So hold that thought for a second. We are in the midst of this worship series for the season of Epiphany, in which we have been answering the question, we are completing the sentence, we are, in several different ways. We are beloved children of God. That's where we started on the Sunday where we read the story of Jesus' baptism. And just like that voice from heaven said to Jesus at his baptism, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God says those words to each one of us. You are my beloved child. You did nothing to earn God's love, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. We are beloved children of God. We are followers of Jesus. And Sarah invited us to think about how this is our identity. We're called to follow Jesus and to take up Jesus' work in the world. We are community. Two weeks ago, I uh, suggested that we aren't called to a faith community that is, you know, Lone Ranger, everyone for themselves, but we're called into community. We need each other for the journey of faith. And then last week, Sarah challenged us to think of ourselves as seekers. That is, we haven't arrived yet. We don't have all the answers. We, we're filled with questions and doubt, and we're, we're striving after a deeper relationship with God and a life that is more shaped by Christ, but we're not there yet, and we, we should never claim that we have all the answers to every question, right? We said in that great song, answers are many, but questions too few, on the path that the world wants to have me believe leads to you. Well, today, I want to suggest that we are missionaries. Now, just a little caveat. I'm not talking about missionaries in the old sense where you you know, travel to some far-off exotic place and you try to convert everyone to your understanding of Christianity. That's not the kind of missionary I'm thinking about. And that kind of missionary has done both a lot of good and a lot of harm in the world. We just have to acknowledge that. That kind of missionary has done both good and harm in the world. And we live with the consequences of that. I'm talking about a kind of missionary that's like right here in your everyday life that each one of us is called to take up the mission of God. We are called by God, and we are sent out into the world with the mission of God, which we talked a little bit with the children about this morning. I want to share uh, just a very brief scripture passage, actually just one little lonely verse from the 20th chapter of John. Now this is in the middle of John's account of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's appearing to his disciples. 
And there's this scene where all of the disciples, the remaining disciples, are gathered in a room. There are, there are 11 disciples left, right? Because Judas is gone. But 10 of them are in the room. Who's the one that's missing? Thomas. They sent Thomas out to get the pizza or something, right? So there's 10 of them left in the room, and Jesus appears. And Thomas gets a whole bad rap because he doesn't believe because he hasn't seen it himself. But in the midst of this conversation, Jesus speaks, and he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that just to those ten people in the room there. I think Jesus is intending that those ten are then going to convey this message to those who will come after. Just as God has sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sends his disciples into the world to continue the ministry that Jesus called them to. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is just one of many, many places in the Bible where we see that God is a sending God. God is a missionary God who sends a missionary church into the world with a mission. The Latin word is missio, which sometimes we translate as mission, but it really means something like uh, sending or to, in a verb sense, to send or having been sent. When we say that we are missionaries, we say that we are people who have been sent. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So often we think of the church as a dispenser of religious goods and services, right? It's an organization and there are professionals who are paid to do the work of God and everyone comes to be consumers of religious goods and services. That's kind of a 1950s view of church, isn't it? That's not what it means to be a missionary church. We are called as a community to be on mission with Christ. We are sent. This is who we are. Someone has said it's not that the church, it's not the church of God that has a mission. It's the mission of God that has a church. Now think about that for a second. It's not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God, oh sorry, I said it wrong. It's not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God of mission that has a church. The mission comes first. And whose mission is it? It's God's mission. And the church exists to fulfill God's mission. That's why we exist in the world. We are missionaries. God is a missionary God who sends a missionary church to make the world more like what God wants it to be. At the very end of um, Matthew's gospel, again, some of Jesus' final words to his disciples, these, this scene takes place at the time of the ascension. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's appeared to his disciples, and now he's taking off for the last time. And we read this, we, we find this scene. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Call this the Great Commission, the sending of all of us to do the work of God in the world. I don't want to get hung up on all this, like, what does it mean to make a disciple? But what Jesus is sending us to do is to go out into the world and share what we have received with others. That's our mission, to make the world more like the world that God envisions. One of the books that I have read recently that's had a real influence is this one called Missional Renaissance, Changing the Scorecard for the Church. There's a nice subtitle, right? <laughs> By Reggie McNeil, who is a... a pastor who really focuses on what is sometimes called missional church. And in this book, he talks about three shifts that the church needs to make to become more missional. And I wanted to share these with you because, although we haven't really studied these in any way, I think these are three shifts that we as Hope Gateway are trying to make. And I'm not going to say we've made these shifts and we've done all of this perfectly, not by any means. We're still on this journey, but these are three shifts that I think that we're trying to make. So the first shift is from an internal to an external ministry focus. What do you think about when you hear that phrase, from an internal to an external ministry focus? What do you think about it? What would be an internal ministry focus? Nurturing ourselves. Nurturing ourselves. It's all about us, right? Okay, what else? Saving me. What's that? Saving me, right? Jesus came to get me to heaven. That's it. Okay. Internal ministry focus. Just already for things to get better other places. Okay, so we come in here in this protected little place and we pray that things will get better. But we're not actually doing anything about it. Okay? And the money and resources are all for us. The money, the resources, the building, fixing the steeple, everything is focused on us and our needs within this organization that we call a church, right? And for many, many, many years, decades, this is largely how the church functioned. Let's see. So about this, he says, um, yes, money, energy, time, our internally focused concerns on things like worship attendance, uh, new internally focused programs, and the performance of those internally focused programs, right? An externally focused church takes their cues from the world around them, from the community, from the needs and the opportunities that exist beyond the walls of the church. Externally focused churches look for ways to bless and serve the communities where they are located. So much of their calendar space, financial resources, and organizational energy are spent on people who are not part of the organization. And again, now you get into categorizing who's part of and who isn't. But again, the people whose butts aren't necessarily in the seats on Sunday morning. So where do you see this shift happening within the Hope Gateway community, if you do? Where do you see that? All the um, events that, that happen for the, um, for the recovery community, like um, having all sorts of different uh, workshops here, or um, yoga, parties here, um, spiritual, other spiritual traditions that aren't Christian necessarily in origin, like Native American or the 
So some of the things happening in recovery and we'll focus on that. Now could we do better about that? Sort of really uh, seeing that as part of our mission? Absolutely. We could. But it has been a, it has been a priority and area of focus. Okay, what else do you see? Yeah. We're hard work with everything. So the reasons those things exist is because those needs exist in our community and we pay the, we're paying attention to those. Okay? Have we done this? Have we made this shift entirely? No, of course we haven't. But it's a shift that I think is an important one that we're trying to make. The second shift he talks about is from program development to people development. The goal is not to get more people to participate in more religious activities, he says, but to invite people to be a part of a movement of sharing life together, of following the teachings of Jesus, and living lives of sacrifice and service to one another and to one's neighbor. So it isn't about getting more people to take part in more religious activities within the walls of our church building, but it is about challenging and inviting people to take up a way of life which is about serving God in the world. So I think he would suggest that what's most important is not what happens on Sunday mornings in this room, Although it's important because it re-energizes us and focuses us, right? Inspires us, hopefully. But what's really important is what we do when we leave this place. What happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when we're not all together in this room. Focusing on developing and equipping and inspiring people to live their faith out when we're not together. Does that make sense? So the third shift that he talks about is from church-based to kingdom-based leadership. Again, the same kind of idea. Missional leaders think differently about what church could be and should be. Not internally focused, but externally focused. Not focusing so much on institutional maintenance, but on what he calls incarnational influence. The difference between institutional maintenance and incarnational influence, that is, incarnating God's love and having that influence in our daily lives, which means in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, when we're at the gym, or at the supermarket, or where we volunteer, wherever it is that we are, that we're having incarnational influence in those places. Missional leaders think more about kingdom impact. There's that same phrase that Beth Eastock used, your, your um, what is the phrase she used? Can't find it. How is your network of kingdom influence going? So imagine the church as a catalyst to mobilize the community, to work on the big things that God cares about. And that's the role of leaders. So, here's the thing. Jesus did not come primarily to get us into heaven, but to transform the world and to invite us into this work, this mission of being a part of God's work of transforming the world. God is already transforming the world, but God is inviting us to be a part of that work in the world. As much as we love the church, the most important thing is not what happens here in these seats but what happens when we leave this place as missionaries in the world. Maybe you've seen um, this 
quote that's been circulating around the interwebs lately. A quote from former U.S. President Jimmy Carter who says, My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, when, with whatever I have, to try to make a difference. And he does, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, that is what Jimmy Carter is known for, whether it's through Habitat for Humanity or other humanitarian work, um, conflict resolution. Jimmy Carter still teaches a Sunday school class in his home church every Sunday. Tremendous example for us about what it means to live a missional life. He is a missionary wherever he goes. And I love this quote, but it made me think about a much older quote. Right? Some of you are nodding your heads because you know what I'm talking about. These are the words of J.W., and who's that? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement almost 300 years ago, who said this. Let's read this together. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Jimmy Carter is a good Baptist, but he's really a Baptist. <laughs> right? He's practically quoting John Wesley. Maybe he does know that. He probably does. He probably does know that. This is what it means to be a missionary. Each one of us doing all the good we can, by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, in all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as ever we can. That is what God invites us to and calls us to in the world. So we are beloved children of God. We are followers of Jesus. We are community. We are seekers. And we are missionaries. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are a calling God, that you call us into community, into relationship with you and one another. And then you send us out into the world with a mission to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with you, to love you with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Oh God, may this time in worship inspire us and challenge us to more faithfully live the message that you have shared with us. Not just on Sundays when we're here in this room, but especially every other day of the week when we're out in the world. May our hands and our feet and our voices and our love and everything that we have make a difference in the world for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're comfortable standing, I invite you to stand because this song we're going to sing is hard to sing sitting down.